Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Monday, December the 7th of 2020. We are excited to be here again and to begin this new week in the Word of God, studying and gleaning from His Word. We'd like to take the time to welcome all of our our listeners, all of you who are tuning in from wherever you're tuning in, uh, for taking out of your time to be able to uh, study the Word and 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 hear what God is saying. It's exciting. This is a new week. That means God has something fresh for us, as He always does, a fresh Word, fresh manna. It's always available uh, to those who seek, to those who ask, to those that wait. Uh, there is manna for them. Amen. So we're excited. We're going to get right into the study of the Word today. I'm excited about today's, uh, uh, what we're going to be talking about uh, from the Word of God. So have your Bibles ready, have your ears open, your heart available, and I know God will speak. Today in our panel, we have the joy. Uh, We have uh, the joy of having our brothers here together. We have Brother Marty and Brother Fernando joining us today in our panel. As always, it is an honor to be able to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty, we'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. It's good to be back for another week as we begin again this week, closing in on the final days of the most infamous year in human history, the year 2020. Probably not since the days of the the early church and the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ have we seen such such tremendous things uh, taking place. As the early church uh, began to go through what it went through, as Brother Fernando taught and has been teaching over the last few podcasts, uh, we began looking into the church at Thessalonica and where, where the Apostle Paul taught them the most uh, revealing aspects of what would be the kinds of things that we needed to be looking for in the last days. And and what what Brother Fernando pointed out last week was how Paul used the same kind of language when he was describing the church of Thessalonica to them, uh, using the word that they were examples unto us. They were examples to all of, of the church, not only of that day, but the same word that he used when he wrote to the Corinthians and told us to pay attention to what happened to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt and were delivered by the mighty hand of God and what happened to them in the wilderness to be examples to us upon whom the ends of the world have come. And so we've spent the last two weeks as we came into December beginning to really hone in and focus in on what we believe that the scriptures are telling us is just ahead. And so those of you who have your Bibles, we're looking forward to uh, to our study this week. We're going to get into uh, the writings of the prophets from many, many different angles as the Lord uh, uh, directs us. <clears throat> And so if you have your Bibles, we ask you to open to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 27 is where we'll be coming to you from. And again, we encourage you, those of you who have been with us, uh, to continue to pass these podcasts on and uh, and, and encourage your friends who are listening to, uh, to pass them on to their friends. The audience is growing. We've been receiving tremendous response uh, from really all over the world. I just spent, uh, just before I started this podcast, reading several lengthy uh, emails that were sent to us uh, by people from different parts of the world that are now hooked up to the podcast as well. They've been following on Instagram. Every Sunday morning, we have an Instagram live broadcast we've been doing. 
and the, the the response has been tremendous, and uh, and we've been receiving tremendous tremendous uh, replies from people all over the world as as the podcast, the Instagram, and the different efforts that uh, that we're making are beginning to uh, to take off as people are searching for answers, and we know that the answers aren't in men, but they are found in the book of Almighty God, the the Word of God, which testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we encourage you. And, and like we said, as we as we continue and begin again this second week of December 2020, uh, we're, we're endeavoring to examine the writings of the Holy Prophets. And it is our endeavor, uh, as always, my brothers and I, to do our best to hear from our instructor, our guide, our comforter, the precious Holy Spirit. Uh, we must be led by him. Or we will wander in the darkness, like Isaiah said, like blind men who cannot see. And if we ever needed to see, uh, in our nation especially, and, and around the world, of course, our brothers and sisters, it, it is at these times. So 2020 is closing closing its doors, and, and we're headed into 2021 here in a couple of weeks. And, and we're seeking to hear precisely uh, what we believe the, the Lord wants us to understand as to where we are headed. And we're seeking the Lord uh, for this specific thing. And, and honestly, we don't assume anything, but but we seek to give you what we hear humbly, we say so, uh, and what we believe that the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so as we begin our study today, again, like we said, we encourage you to have your Bibles there with you and to open them, please, to the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he'd begin our study by reading Isaiah 27, uh, verse 9, 10, and 11. And we will begin our study today. Brother Jeremy, in Jesus' Amen. name. <laughs> Amen. By this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. And this is all the fruit to take away his sin. When he maketh all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten in sunder, the groves and images shall not stand up. Yet the defense city shall be desolate, and the habitation forsaken, and left like a wilderness. There shall the calf feed, and there shall he lie down, and consume the branches thereof. When the bows thereof are withered, they shall be broken off, the woman come and set them on fire, for it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, he that made them will not have mercy on them, and he that formed them will show them no favor. <laughs> my, my. Uh, from verse 10, Isaiah references, uh, the calf shall feed there. And in verse 11, he, he says, for this is a people that have no understanding. Today's study is going to be a people of no understanding. You know, what is most present in my heart today, in our hearts today, is, is our country, the United States of America. Again, the last bastion of freedom on the planet is being contested over. And in many respects, what we've been witnessing since Election Day and really throughout 2020 and really the many decades leading up to this time frame has been um, what the prophet Jeremiah described in his day, truth has fallen in the streets. You know, today is December the 7th, and it is the anniversary of uh, Pearl Harbor. 
1941. And in that time, while America slept, the nation was attacked. Remember, there was a war that was raging back in 1941, but in the comfort and isolation uh, of ignorance, really, of the United States and its leaders, they chose not to be, um, you know, a participant in in driving back evil. And 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 the result of that, I believe, was the the Lord allowed an attack to come upon America to wake it up, and and, and in essence be used of God to cross the ocean to put down fascism to destroy a, a type of the Antichrist, probably the most significant figure we've ever seen, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party, and and rescue the Jewish people who had died uh, by the time we finally reached them to the tune of over 6 million people, adding another 4 or 5 million of, of various uh, individual people, whether they were sick or, or just relegated to, uh, you know, to, to, to being insignificant in the scheme of the Third Reich. The United States was brought into a war. And, and, and in many senses, when I was thinking about Pearl Harbor today, I thought, you know, America right now as well is under attack. And the enemy has crept in and, and really has done so over the last several decades. And sad to say, while the church slept. The deep truth about what is really happening, I, I really fear it's going to come upon many in the church in a very startling and totally unexpected way. And and with that in mind, we pick up Isaiah's prophecy here in verse in chapter 27, verse 9 through 11, in mid-thought. Uh, but there are many parallels that we can see and draw here and where he leads us in what he says here, which we'll look at here in a second. But there are many things that we could uh, take out of this uh, 27th chapter. But for the purposes of today's study, we're going to focus primarily on verse 9 through 11. Isaiah had been being used of God to to warn the nation well in advance of what would come. And and when we pick up this this ninth verse, uh he he basically brings them to the point by the spirit of the Lord where he tells them what God is requiring of them as a nation. It wasn't some great um you know set of of uh, of lists that were longer than your arms, so to speak, that they had to perform if they wanted to avert judgment. He basically told them what they needed to do. And in so telling them what they needed to do, he was revealing to them precisely why they found themselves on the brink of destruction. Brother Jeremy, could you read verse 9 to us again, please? Yes. By this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. And this is all the fruit to take away his sin, when he maketh all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten in sunder, the groves and images shall not stand up. So basically, when he starts off, he, he's, he's uh, addressing the nation and their iniquity. He's no longer even arguing about it. He just simply states it as a fact. He's no longer saying, come, let us reason together. He says, you've reached this point where the only thing that's going to preserve you now is that your iniquity be purged. And and he says this very interesting thing. He says, by this, like Brother Jeremy just read, the iniquity of Jacob will be purged. 
And then he says this, this is all the fruit to take away his sin. In other words, what he was saying was, <laughs> all I'm going to ask you to do is this. And the fruit of it will be born. That is, the iniquity of the nation will be purged if you do these things. He references three things there. He says that they need to uh, to take away the, the stones uh, of the altar, which are like chalk stones. And, and that that are that are to be beaten in sunder. He references the groves, and he references the images, and says that they need to be all torn down. So what he really begins to do is he offers them a way out, and he says, "I'll know the fruit of your true repentance when you remove the stones of the altar." and you grind them down to a, a fine dust, you remove the groves and the images. Both of these were two were references to two aspects of great idolatry that they had in, in, you know, entered into. Amongst the groves, they were worshiping uh, Astarte, or the fertility goddess, and the images were images of Baal that they had erected everywhere and were participating in as a nation. And the stones of the altar he references as well. It was advanced warning that really went unheeded. We were we were looking at Daniel's prayer on Friday, and in that prayer, Daniel, which we hope will return back to at least the prayer as the Lord leads, in that prayer he referenced the fact that that they had failed to recognize or acknowledge the the truth of the prophecies given by Jeremiah. Number one, number two that he lamented that nobody actually turned and prayed about it. Let's, let's look over there real quick so you know what I'm talking about. In Daniel chapter 9. Could you go back over there, brother? Daniel chapter 9. Yes. Just for a reference sake here. In part of his prayer, he says, uh, <clears throat> he says in verse uh, 5 and 6, can you read that to us real quick? Yes. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So he, he, he says, we haven't listened. We haven't turned uh, from our evil. We haven't listened to what the, the prophets said. And and then he goes on to reference uh, something in his prayer here. Let's see if I can find it. Um, let's take a look here. Da, 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 da. I think it's in verse, let's see. The confusion of faces. Yeah, but I think it's, let's see, where he actually says that nobody actually wanted to pray about it. Because I made oh, my okay. confession to seek by prayer. He said, but none of us, have, none of us actually turned to pray to you about it. Yeah, maybe that's it. Let's see. We've sinned against thee to, to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. Neither in verse 10 he says, 
have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his prophet. And then he says, everyone's departed. But he specifically, there it is. Can you read to that in verse 12 and 13, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem, as it is written in the law of Moses. All this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Powerful what Daniel said. He talked about even in the face of utter destruction, which ultimately came, because Daniel's writing post-destruction. Uh, Isaiah's writing just before the destruction came. But on either end, they bookend each other. Daniel gives the reason why it came. Isaiah laid forth the olive branch, if you will, that the Lord extended to the hand of the nation, simply telling them that at this point, even if you'll just turn, turn from your idolatry, they were mixing the holy with the unholy. They were a they were the people of God, the church of their day, the blessed and and uh, nation of, of the planet. They were the ones that were supposed to be holding forth the light. But instead they 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 brought in such gross idolatry that God would eventually say to them, Listen, at this point destruction is imminent, and the only thing that's going to save you is if you'll turn from your sin. And and the fruit of that sin can be seen when you tear down your altars, you get rid of the groves and you get rid of the images so that they no longer will stand up within your nation. That's the only thing that's going to preserve you. Now, on the other end of that, they didn't, which we'll look at in verse 10. But then Daniel, on the other end of it, gives us a commentary on what actually happened. And he says, the evil came down on us precisely because we didn't turn. And then he says that, that the evil came on us in verse 13. And even as it was encroaching, even as it continued to encroach, because it was a systematic captivity that came upon the nation. Remember when we did our studies in Jeremiah, that's exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar, the global state of that day, came down into Jerusalem and took captive thousands of people. And yet from that point on of the initial captivity, there was yet another 11 years that were left. And they still didn't turn. Even though they saw encroaching evil coming upon them, Daniel says, yet we did not make our prayer to the Lord our God in order to turn from our iniquities so that we could understand the truth, thy truth of what was actually happening and why it was happening. And so this is what we see uh, Isaiah addressing by the Spirit of the Lord in verse 10. Can you read that in chapter 27, verse 10, Brother Jeremy? 27. Yet the defense city shall be desolate and the habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. There shall the calf feed and there shall he lie down and consume the branches thereof. Now this is really powerful what Isaiah is saying. In verse 9 he's saying, uh, the Lord is saying through his prophet, you're, the only thing that's going to preserve your nation now is that your iniquity be purged. And the only way that it will be evident 
that your nation will be preserved and your iniquity purged is if I see the fruit of your repentance. You need to tear down the altars and grind them, beat them asunder, in other words, the chalkstone. You need to remove the groves and the images so that they will never stand up again. So he laid that out in verse 9, but then he reflects in verse 10 by saying, I know you're not going to do that. Even though I gave you this last chance, he said in verse 10, he says, yet the defensed city shall be desolate. There's three things he says here. The defense city shall be desolate, the habitation will be forsaken, and it will be left like a wilderness. Indeed, they became desolate. And though they needed only to turn, they would not. That's what he's saying. They won't. What's interesting is he says it's a defensed city, and yet it's going to become desolated or desolate as a result of their refusal to repent. America stands on the brink of that right now. Everything that we are witnessing take place in this country right now is happening as a result of our refusal to turn, even though, like Daniel said on the other side of it, even when we saw the evil approaching, even over the years when things began to fall apart all around us, he said, we still didn't turn and make our prayer to you. We still didn't turn from our iniquities. That's what Isaiah was pleading on this side of the captivity, is that the defensed city, it, it won't be able to withhold what's coming your way. It's going to become desolate. It's very spiritual now because we're applying the parallels here. And when we look at the word desolate, what that literally means is the first thing that's going to happen is the nation itself, he was saying, is going to become isolated because that's what the word means, desolate. It means to become isolated and to become without security. So he prefaces that remark by first declaring, yes, you're a defensed city. But the truth of the matter is, is because of your rebellion against the Lord, you've reached this, this, this point of critical mass now, where what's going to happen is that you're going to grow isolated, and you're utterly going to be left without security. In other words, all your defenses, all your technology, all your policymakers, all your great and wise people, all your generals and all the things that you place trust in to withhold back or to defend you are going to be utterly useless because the truth of the matter is it is the Lord who keeps the city. It is the Lord who keeps the nation, but you've sinned against him. See, when we draw these parallels with the United States and, and Israel and Judah of old, it is precisely because both nations were founded upon the word of Almighty God. And subsequently, both nations were raised up by God, and both nations have the blessing and the covenant promises of God, which prospered them unlike any nations before them. And so when we look back, like we started out talking about, like Brother Fernando was talking about, looking back on the examples as we're commanded to do upon us whom the ends of the world have come, we draw insight from these, and by that insight, we can begin to place them like 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 cut and paste them on your computer screen as they do or on the chalkboard in front of us and and a picture begins to emerge the parallels are striking as judah grew increasingly isolated so that all her 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 alliances and all her trust in in in, in this fortified city that she she lived in called jerusalem none of it was going to be able to withstand the judgment of god precisely because they refused to bear the fruit of repentance that they might be healed. I fear the same thing has happened to our nation. 
and we are seeing the pattern unfold. America is growing increasingly isolated as the whole world begins to, to turn on it and, and move it in a direction of utter enslavement. They call it the global reset. In, in, in Judah's case, it became the global state of, of their day, led by an antichrist figure called Nebuchadnezzar, who brought them up under subjection. So you will become desolate. Even though I extended my hand of, of mercy to you, you refused. And as a result, you're going to grow desolate, isolated without security. The second thing he says is the habitation shall be forsaken. What he means by that, and the word habitation, references the temple of God, the, the spiritual aspect or heart of the nation. He's literally saying, and the, the word forsaken, the habitation forsaken, the habitation represents God's presence among his people. And in their case, it was the temple. He's saying it will be utterly forsaken. In other words, that word forsaken in the Hebrew literally means to be divorced or put away from myself. God begins to isolate, remove his protective covering, and then remove his presence from them. He, he divorced them because they refused to turn. And then the third thing he says, is that they will be left like a wilderness. It's interesting because the word left there, it literally means to apostatize. Enter into a state of apostasy. And then subsequently, as a result of that, it leaves them alone as if they're completely exposed in a wilderness. It is the apostasy itself which harkens basically to what we've been studying, which is except there come a falling away first, and that wicked one be revealed. This is what Paul was saying. A falling away would take place in the end of time. And this is what we see happening. The parallels are striking. America and her churches have entered into a place of deep apostasy. We don't want to make people mad. I'm not accusing every church, every pastor, every ministry of this, God forbid. But on a national scale, over a, a series of decades, as we will go on into this, uh, and look at, at what it is the Lord is telling us today. I've said all this, and we've said all this to lay the foundation for the word that the Lord has given us today. And it's it's based on what Isaiah says next. Can you read that again in verse 10, Brother Jeremy, to us? Yes. Yet the defense city shall be desolate, and the habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. Left like a wilderness. There shall the calf and there shall he lie down and consume the branches thereof. Okay, so let's break this down real quick because we're gonna we're gonna hone in on what did he mean by there shall the calf feed. First of all, when he speaks of the calf, he's he's referencing something which we'll get to in a second, but he's saying that this calf is going to come and lie down. He's gonna feel very comfortable in that position. And what he's going to begin to do is consume the branches. Now, the branches are, are, are representative of, of spiritual strength that once existed. It is the branches. Uh, remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He used that same example. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? John chapter 15, I think it's verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that he may bring forth more fruit. And then verse 5, 
I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abided in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do anything. And if we don't abide in him, what happens? Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into into the fire, and they are burned. All right. So we see the principle that Jesus uses here declaring that the branches are branches uh, likened as to abiding in the Lord himself. But here we have an unusual statement by Isaiah when he says that because of their refusal to turn and to have their iniquity purged and to bring forth the fruit worthy of repentance, that the branches that, that, that are connected to God are going to be consumed by the calf that lies down and feeds off them. This will make sense a little bit more to you in a minute. But verse the, then what he said as well, remember uh, in verse 6 that we just read in John 15, 6, where he says that the branches uh, wither and they're, 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 they're detached and then they're burned in the fire. That's what he goes on to say in verse 11, Isaiah. He's saying the same thing. Can you read verse 11 to us, Brother Jeremy? When the bows thereof are withered, they shall be broken off. The woman comes and set them on fire, for it is a people of no understanding. Therefore he that made them will not have mercy on them, and he that formed them will show them no favor. So here's what he's showing is the progression. The branches are meant to be hooked to the Lord. In many ways they represent the expression of the Spirit. But because they refuse to turn to God and allow him to heal them, and we as a nation have done the same thing. The branches, which for all intents and purposes can re represent the the, uh, the idolatrous uh, church of our age, he's saying that those branches ultimately will be uh, fed upon by this calf. And we're going to talk about the calf. But verse 11 goes on and says, once the feeding process on the branches begins by the spirit of the calf, because that's what it is, verse 11, they wither the branches begin to wither because they're no longer connected to the source of all life. And then he says, as a result of that, like Jesus taught in John 15, which we just read, they will be broken off. He was using very symbolic language there to his own people to tell them, you will ultimately be completely severed from me. And and, and he says, but but in the interim, he mentions something really interesting, which, which is likened unto how the churches have continued in our time. Even though the calf has been feeding on the branches, and then in, in essence, they have lost the source of, of nutrition that keeps them strong, they will be broken off as a result of the fact that they have been disconnected from the source of, of life, which is the Lord himself. But here we have, in the next statement of verse 11, he says that the women come. They represent churches. They come and they gather uh, the, the branches and they set them on fire. And what that literally represents when you get into more spiritual understanding here is, is that they still come to draw sustenance from the branches. And even though they're withered, they try to kindle light by them. 
But the truth of the matter is, is there is no light there. And that's why the, the Lord goes on to say through his prophet, this is a people that has absolutely no understanding. Even though they have watched the managed decline of their spiritual spiritual nature, which I formed them and raised them up and blessed them with my light, they were they were a uh, they were they were hooked to the vine. They were they were connected to me and my presence flowing through them. But remember, we started in verse nine by him lamenting and saying, "You've reached the point of critical mass. There's only one thing that's going to prevent the ultimate judgment from falling upon you now, and that's that you've got to be purged from your iniquity. And 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 I, I'm making it easy. I'll know that you've done that by the fruit that you produce, the fruits of repentance." And what I'm asking you to do is to crush the, the, the altars of stone like they were crushed stone, chalk stones, to beat them into smithereens, to remove the groves and the images. In other words, get rid of the idolatry that you've allowed to come into the nation. And, 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 and most of all, that you've allowed to be mixed with your, <laughs> with your relationship with me. And, and he says, but yet you won't. You trust in the defenses and your and your might and your power and so forth and so on. And he says, you're going to become desolated. You're going to become isolated. And the security that you have will, will mean nothing because my presence will be taken from you. As a matter of fact, I am removing or forsaking my habitation. I'm removing my spirit. I'm divorcing you. That's what's going to happen to you. And he says, you're going to ultimately be left as an apostate people in a wilderness fully exposed. He says, it, it's at that point, and this is a progressive judgment that's coming on you, that the calf is going to come and feed on, on the branches that are still strong. They appear to be strong, and the only reason that they appear to be strong is because I haven't utterly yet washed my hands of them, but that's going to happen. Because the very life or whatever semblance of life that you have yet remaining, the calf that comes to feed is going to consume it, ultimately disconnecting you from me and causing you to wither, and you're going to be broken off. But while this is happening, there is a people of no understanding. They continue to go, and they gather the branches seeking to, to have light, but there's no flow there. There is no light there. There is nothing that can truly cause light to shine. And yet you don't know it. You have no understanding. Once you've reached this point and try to kindle light from branches that have absolutely no source, no light, no flow of the spirit through it, you have reached that point of no understanding and have no idea that, like he says at the at the at the uh, end of verse eleven. Therefore, he has he that made them will not have mercy on them, and he that formed them will show them no favor. You will reach the point where I will no longer have mercy on you. Because now you're so dumb that you continue to go back to the old ways and you're drawing from branches that have absolutely no sustenance in the, anymore. And you're using that lifeless thing to try and create light. You are absolutely without any understanding that judgment is at your doorstep. You have blinded yourself. And it all began with the calf feeding upon that which was green as a result of your refusal to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Now, as to this calf, what does that represent? 
And what we're going to see here is the calf that he's referencing there. It's not just any old little cow that comes. He's talking spiritually here. He's hearkening back. And he's reminding the nation of the time that they fell before. All the way back when they had been delivered and were headed to a meeting with God at Mount Sinai. He tries to jar them with a reference to the golden calf in Exodus. The people asked, if you remember back then, for Aaron to fashion that golden calf. Today's ministry did the same thing. We're going to see that in a minute here. Brother Jeremy, could you turn over to Exodus chapter 32? That's what Isaiah is referencing. That's what he's saying to America today. Watch this. Exodus chapter 32. Could you read that, Brother Jeremy? This is the calf that he's referring to. Remember, for, for you to understand spiritually speaking, those of you that are listening, Isaiah, where we began in verse 9, references the groves, the altars, and, and the images. But when he gets to the point of the branches being feet, fed upon, he talks in, in regards to the calf. So in essence, he's basically saying, you began messing around with these, these, uh, these gods out here. But the truth of the matter is, is that it, it will give birth or create a pathway that draws you all the way back to the worst of all sins when you first began and came out of Egypt, which is representative of Satan himself, that golden image that came up out of the fire that they made. Let's take a look at that because the parallels now begin to get incredibly striking. And we're going to talk to you of what, about what we believe the Lord is saying as we close out 2020 to this country, specifically the church in this country. But Jeremy, let's look at this example. We're commanded to do so upon whom the ends of the world has come, he said. Let's look. Let's start with verse 1. Could you read that? And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. Again, as we've been studying, you know, God declares the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. We know in this story what we're going to see is they made a golden calf. That's the calf that Isaiah is referencing, trying to jaw their memory. So that takes us on our journey. Let's go back and look. And we're drawing parallels on these stories to precisely where we've come to as a nation today. Moses is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. He went up into heaven, and uh, the Lord Jesus went up into heaven, much like Moses went up to Mount Sinai. And what we see is a perfect picture here in verse 1 of what the conditions will be at the end of time. A group of people that are uh, the people of the Lord who get tired of waiting for the return of the Lord. That's precisely what Peter said would happen. They would begin to cry out and say, where is the promise of his coming? And, and listen to the language. It says in verse 1, what Brother Jeremy just read, it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mount. So, again, we have a picture of a church at the end of time that has grown tired of waiting, in other words. He hasn't come when they think 
that he should come back down from that mountain. Just as many today, whether they'll say it or not, they say it by their actions. They don't believe that he's coming back or they just frankly don't care. It's been too long. That's what happened to them. And so what did they do in verse 1? They began to gather themselves together and they came to Aaron. He's a representative of the ministry, the national ministry, if you will. And they said, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this man, Moses, the man that brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know where he is or what's happened to him. It's the spiritual attitude that we're drawing understanding from here. It is an attitude that approaches the ministry precisely because of the delay of the return of the Lord and begins to alter the way that they have known God to this point. And what is being revealed here is they're exchanging the one true living God and his servant Moses, as much as the modern church has done today. It has grown tired of waiting for the return of the Lord. And in so doing, a spirit has crept in, in which they went to the ministers and began to demand of them a different expression of God. And so what does Aaron do? Read verse 2, would you, Brother Jeremy, to us? And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And so what did the people do in verse 3? And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. So what we see here, and when we're learning again in, in metaphor, prophetic type, is exactly the progression of what has happened in the modern era, especially in this country. We went from a people that had been delivered, blessed, brought forth, and, and, and then uh, became the most prosperous nation. But as, as the years have gone by, and the delay, or so it seems, the delay of the Lord, uh, you know, as, as these people said that Moses delayed from coming back down from the mountain, a shift began to take place. And they began to, uh, to, to, to approach the ministry and put pressure on them in many ways for a different expression. And so what ends up happening is that the first thing that Aaron tells them in response to that is that they need to break off the golden earrings that are in their ears of their wives, their sons, their daughters, and to bring them to them. First, we can learn from this that gold, as you know, is a type of, of divinity. And, and the fact that the earrings are, uh, the golden earrings attached to the ears, it's very symbolic because we know that, that it is a voluntary surrender to the Lordship of Christ that has brought us into the church. The golden earring uh, represents that we belong to Christ. In the teachings of the Old Testament, whenever somebody had the right to go free, who had once been under slavery, then chooses that they don't want to go free but become a permanent member of the one, the one who freed them's house, representative of the Lord Jesus Christ who has freed us, that they then go and become a bondservant, willingly so, permanently and forever attaching themselves to their master. That is what we did when we got saved. The golden earring represents the spirit of God. We're, we're a, peer, a, a people of the spirit who have the capacity to hear divine things. But here, because of the compromise, which is being made plain here near the end of time, 
precisely because they're complaining that Moses hasn't come back down from the mountain, which many don't say in, in the modern church, but by their actions and the fruit of their lives. That is, in essence, what they're saying. We don't know what's happened to this Jesus. He hasn't come back. So now they begin in earnest to seek for a different spiritual expression, which is absolutely apostate. That's what they did. And so the first thing Moses, uh, Aaron commands is, is to remove or break off their ears that thing that symbolizes who they really are and who they belong to. See, this is an act of the will. And what we see here in the fact of verse 2 where it says that it's, it's the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, this is a complete corruption of the family unit. It goes from the father to the wife to the son to the daughter. And, and we have seen that kind of infiltration of compromise take place uh, from the top to the bottom in our time. So the golden earring, the removing of it, it's the divine, the gold, the ability to hear. And the whole family has been caught up in it. And by removing that golden earring, symbolically what they were doing and what we have done in our time in the pursuit of other gods is remove our ability to hear from the spirit of God precisely when we need to hear him the most. Verse 3 says, all the people broke off the earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. This is very interesting to me. Because what we see, if you have ears to hear <laughs> and eyes to see, is we see that the people break off these golden earrings and bring them to the minister. To me, that really reminds me of what happened uh, to the church in the last 40 years, especially leading up to our time, in 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 the sense that they brought the gold to the ministry, right? It's the prosperity gospel. It's the word of faith. It's the hyper charismatic. It's all the false doctrines. They bring their their that which which God had prospered them with, and put it into the hands of the establishment. In this case, Aaron, and he asked for it. And so they brought it to him. It represents the corruption of the ministry as well. And what did they do with it? Verse 4 and 5, could you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten cast. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Of course, the Lord they're talking about is the Lord um, that they made themselves. But look at this. There you see that word, right? The calf. That's what Isaiah was was referencing that calf that would feed on the branches, causing the branches to wither, causing the false churches to think that they could still produce light, becoming a people of no understanding, and hence removing the mercy and the favor of God from their nation, bringing the ultimate conclusion, which resulted in their demise, their destruction, and God removing his presence from them, because they refused to bring forth the fruits of repentance 
they were left desolate and without habitation or their habitation being forsaken as the lord said and 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 left in the wilderness what do we see here when when what we see in the pattern here is the people bring the valuable essence of, of the blessing of God, the golden earrings, and they, they instead of being the possessors of it, they hand it over to the national minister, the high priest Aaron. That's that we're, we're, we're liking it to our times. That's what's happened. A whole new doctrine came. Aaron shifted from being one who stood on behalf of the people to being one who demanded of the people their very substance. And then he, 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 he in essence, uh, represents a ministry corrupted that begins to build a golden calf. That's what he did. And then point them to those things as their gods, which is exactly what has happened within the church of our time, which is why we're in the precarious position we are in right now. They became completely caught up in false doctrine and intermingled the holy with the unholy. And they brought in these false doctrines and began to uh, to worship for all intents and purposes these ways, these new things. That's what we see in verse 5 where it says, when Aaron saw, what does he do? He builds an altar before it. What is this representative of in our time? That's exactly what happened. They reject the altar of God and they create a new altar founded upon uh, doctrines of devils, really, and this calf, this golden calf. And 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 it represents a new expression of of how worship came into the church in our time. That's what happened. A new altar it's, was erected. Go ahead, brother. It's satanic. It's satanic in nature. Um, you know yeah. the trading of of uh, the, the earrings and you know uh, to build this altar and this golden calf. The apostle Paul said uh, concerning uh, the end times or the last days. Uh, for the time will come, Second Timothy four three, will when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts. What is that? That's that's things that are forbidden by God, desires yes. that are forbidden mm -hmm. by God. You know, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? That's and powerful. they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall mm -hmm. be turned into fables. So basically they're they're turning in their earrings, their ears, uh, and they're basically telling Aaron, who's the preacher, preach to us things that will allow us to do the things that are forbidden by God. Wow. Now now, now let me that's ask you exactly this question. what we're that's exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Let me ask you this question. In your in your opinion, you know, have have we seen that occur in the United States in its ministries and ministers over uh, the last several weeks? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we we've seen it here in America more than anywhere else. I just turn yeah. on Christian television and see the very thing they're promoting. You know, it's 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 the desire of earthly things, the desire of material things, the desire of of uh, uh, things that are momentary, you know, that's what we preach and 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 given the people. But again, it's the people that make the decision. They heap them <laughs> to themselves these kind of teachings, these kind of preachers. They 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 continue to keep them in business by giving them the money because they keep preaching what they want to hear. 
And ultimately, the preacher will acquiesce if, if the money is coming in to tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah. And they fall yeah. and they fall into a trap. Yes. Right. So it's a, it's a two way street. But again, here, the people are the one asking for it. You know, mm-hmm. and so Aaron says, OK, Moses up in the mountain. He's not coming down. Let's let's have a party. Let's feed the flesh. Let's go all out. Right. And, yes. and he does that. Incredible. And then what, so what happens in verse six, brother Jeremy, can you read that? Yeah. It says, and they rose up early on the morrow, on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought pieces, excuse me, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Incredible. That's what brother Fernando was just talking about. That's what we've seen take place in our in our society, amongst the churches, and all of us at one time or another have fallen prey to this kind of a spirit, of really because what you see here is ease, right? They sit down to eat. They're absolutely settled in into what they're doing now. And what's interesting, prophetically speaking, is it says they rose up early in the morning. Verse seven tells us that Moses, a type of Christ, was just about to go down from the mountain and bring the word of God to them, the Ten Commandments. They were right on the the very morning that he was coming. We see a reflection of what the false church will be like just prior to the coming of the Lord and what we have seen in the United States of America. The same thing. They sat down to eat at ease, to drink, to rise up and play. Notice again what Aaron did in verse 5. He built an altar before this idol. He created a new form of worship for the people. That's precisely what the false ministers of our time have done, as Brother Fernando was describing. Now we see something very interesting now. Remember we were talking about the calf that feeds on the branches. That's what Isaiah was referencing. In Moses returns from the mountain and he brings Joshua with him. It's a type of the father and the son. But as they come uh, to inspect and to to hear and to witness what's actually taking place, it is a type of the Holy Spirit in our time right now examining the church. And and we can see the description of what they saw in verse 18 as they come down from the mountain. Can you read verse 18 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. Check that out. So what we have just discussed and and, and came to was once they exchanged, uh, like Brother Fernando was talking about, sound doctrine and so forth and so on, for for teachers having itching ears, uh, then what we see happen is is a new form of of worship is instituted by the hierarchy by the by the leadership by Aaron represented by Aaron he creates a new altar a whole new church was created over the last 20 years we call them mega churches call them charismatic hyper pentecostal churches whatever you want to call it. even the denominational world itself has corrupted itself ordaining uh, homosexuals and lesbians and now we have transgender churches we got all kinds of crazy stuff going on 
and, and, and we're right on the eve of the return of the Lord. And one of the things that is pointed out here that I find incredibly interesting is what Moses tells Joshua. Uh, Joshua says, man, there's a, there's a sound of war in the camp. He says, no, it's not a shout of mastery, and neither is it a shout of them that are crying uh, to be delivered because they're being attacked. He says, that's not what I hear. He says, what I hear is that they're all singing. It's the sound of singing. And you know what that really made me? I know you guys are with me in the spirit, right? It's the same today. The emphasis on right. today, church, is what? False worship, false singing, right? right? Isn't that incredible? The songs of the world, the Bethels of the world, they're, they're the the main uh, attractions when they're doing these, these repentance meetings, right? Um, their music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He says, what I hear is not someone trying to be holy and, and, and overcome the wicked, the wicked. And, and also, I don't what I hear is not them crying out to me to deliver them from the wicked trying to overrun them. No, they're singing. But they're singing the songs of the golden calf. That's what he hears as he's coming down from the mountain. It's very unusual what Moses does next when he comes down. Can you read verse 19 and 20 to us, Brother Jeremy? And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire, and grounded it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. Just remember what he does there. We're gonna we're gonna talk about this in a second, because the parallels of what have happened are very striking. Remember, this is right at the time that Moses comes down from the mountain, and what we're going to see leading up to it. Again, the description is incredible. The first thing he sees is the idolatry, right? The calf that Isaiah referenced. And the dancing. The music and the dancing. That's what he saw. And it angered him. He's really a type of the Father. Joshua is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ at this point. But it's the spirit that we're, we're looking at here. It is the inspection of the spirit that we're referencing. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It's the same thing that has happened to the American church. The last bastion, if you will, of hope died behind the pulpits of this nation over multiple decades and culminated, if you will. I know this is hard, but I ain't got time to fool around no more. This is where we're at. You can take it or leave it. This is where we're at. He sees the calf. He sees the dancing. He hears the singing. Everybody's drinking nowadays. According to the you know fair-haired boys, it's okay. We can have Bible study in the in the bar on Wednesday nights now because we're reaching out to the world. Come on, somebody! Oh, who cares? Even though the word says we shouldn't be tattooing ourselves, and I'm not putting down no heavy-duty trip on those of you who got saved and you already had tattoos. But what are you as a Christian doing, going out to tattoo parlors and getting yourselves all tattooed up? You think that's going to be a witness? It's a reflection of something, and it ain't. The word of God. Now I've made everybody mad, right? But look, what does he see? The calf and the dancing. And 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 we have a we have we have a reflection of how God feels about it right now. 
Moses' anger waxed hot. And, and, and then it says that he does something in verse 20. He takes the idol, which they made. He burns it with fire and grinds it to powder and then sprinkles it on water and makes them drink it, all of them. We'll get to that in a second. Then he turns his attention to verse 21. Did you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? You see, basically he was saying, You you he addresses the ministry first, right? He says, Look, what did you do? You brought a great sin upon this people. The bottom line is it's been the false preachers who hold the greater sin of what we're witnessing right now in this country. They have led the people in the direction that we find ourselves in now. Aaron had the opportunity, the moment they came to ask him what has happened to this Moses, to step up instead he gave in to the to the lust of the crowd, like Brother Fernando was just talking about, and altered the way that they sought God, creating a new form of worship and removing from them the dignity of who they were, represented by the golden earring, and taking from them a complete representation on the outside of what was going on on the inside, the inability to hear from God anymore. Mix it with, with false worship, idolatry, known as the calf, right? Satanic in nature, as you were saying, brother. Right before Moses is about to come down from the mountain. It's the same thing we've seen happen now. Jesus is coming. He's readying himself. We're only days away, really, months, years, however long you want to put a definite time period on it. All I know is by the word of God, we're nearing that time. And so what we see is the same thing happening and has happened in this country. And God's attention is his finger is, is, is right on the button like he did with Aaron and said, you have brought a great sin upon this people. The ministry will have a, a stronger judgment than, than, than the people themselves because they were meant to be the leaders to lead them to God. The preachers in this country have a greater sin now, interesting, remember what he did. He ground it to powder and made them drink it. Now let's look at verse 26. Because something happened. A priesthood emerges at this time. Could you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And what did they do in verse 27, Brother Jeremy? And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. Incredible. Understand what we're talking about here spiritually. What we're being shown here is that precisely at the time when the conditions are the same, which they are now, 
he says there's a ministry that that begins to be identified and and the cry of the spirit is what moses said to the levites or to the people who is on the lord's side that's what's being asked right now to all of us he, uh, you know a separation is taking place. we're not talking about the heathen here now this is within the camp of god this is happening and in many ways that's what's happening right now in this country that people are doubling down it's it's quite amazing to me you know what i mean i mean they're they're getting more into the whole political thing more into the whole you know uh you know like he said about the women who come and and and, and try to light a fire with those withered branches that's what we're doing we're trying to grasp at branches that have absolutely no sustenance, oil, light, anointing on them, and we're trying to create our own light. And he says, you have no understanding. You have no understanding. You can't even see what's happening all around you. And so you double down, and you pursue, and you persist in this. This is the camp of God we're talking about. This is America we're talking about. This is the American church. And the Holy Spirit is asking the same question that Moses asked. He stood in the gate of the camp, and he said, who's on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Hallelujah. That's what he's asking us, church. Can you see what is happening? And can you understand what has taken place within what is known as the house of God or amongst the people of God? And so the dividing line is being drawn right down the middle of the sand, so to speak. Those that are on God's side are being identified. They're being called by the Spirit. And he says, come to me. And so when we see in verse 26, all the sons of Levi gathered themselves unto him. The Levites were the priesthood. And that's reflective of the true church. As Peter said, know ye not that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. God is calling out his priesthood right now. He's calling us to be bold because what does he do in verse 27? He says to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put every man his sword by his side. So he's calling out a priesthood. He's identifying them by taking that step and separating from the camp of the idolatrous. This is heavy stuff, man. I know it is. And I know it, it, it makes some people uncomfortable. But this is where we are right now. That's what's happening. We got two weeks left in this year, but a little more than two weeks left in this year, two and a half, three weeks. And we're headed into the most turbulent times ever. And the church itself is being called to a position where it is being asked the question, who is on the Lord's side? Will you persist in not bringing forth the fruit that Isaiah talked about? Will you refuse to remove the idols out of your own life and your own heart? And, and on, a, on a much larger scale, asking the church in the country the same thing. Will you take away the idols? Will you bring forth fruit? Will you take that false altar and grind it to powder? Will you remove the, the grows and the images? Or will you trust in what you think is a defensed nation? You think you have strength. You think you have money. You think you have all this stuff. 
But the truth of the matter is, is you are about to be left isolated and without security. But in Moses' case, he says, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. That's what God is asking all of us right now. And I'm telling you from the biggest one to the smallest one, everybody is being scrutinized and asked this question. Because what's happening going forward is going to require this absolute fidelity in the face of absolute compromise to stand up and to take our sword and put it on our side. What does that sword represent? It represents the word of Almighty God. What he's asking and what we see here, as he told them, go in and out from gate to gate throughout the entire camp and slay every man, his brother, his companion, and his neighbor. Fellowship is going to have to be broken with those that are nearest and dear to you if they refuse to recognize the times that we're living in. It's a hard thing. We're not talking about killing people now. Understand spiritually now, the sword is the word of God. And so what he's literally saying for our times is the time has come. And notice what he says in verse 27, from gate to gate. The very place where these things enter in, that's where I want you to go stand. And I want you to take the word, the sword of the word, and if it requires that you slay your brother, your companion, or your neighbor, then you're going to have to do it by the word. You're going to have to be bold in this hour wherever God takes you. I don't care if it's just your neighbor next door. That's what I'm saying. Or maybe it's one of your loved ones and family members that holds to these false doctrines, and they're off in some la-la land, and they have no idea or understanding. That's what he said. He's calling out a priesthood, a royal priesthood. And let me tell you something. These words, they're convicting. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit. He's calling us and separating us and says you're going to have to be willing, if necessary, to bring forth the light by the sword of the word. And if it costs you your brother, your companion, or your neighbor, then so be it. Who is on the Lord's side? Oh, brother, somebody say something. That's really hard stuff, man. Somebody say something to me. You know, in 2011, 9-11, right? Yeah. Uh, something broke loose in this nation, uh, a a defense nation with the greatest military, yet we were attacked in a, in American soil, uh, believing, you know, that God allowed this. There was a hedge of protection that has been over a nation, right, all these years, but something took place and broke. And at least, I look back at it now, at least there was some semblance of repentance after that happened. Our churches were filled, you know, at least for a few months, you know, preachers were, were preaching repentance, even though if it was just temporary and we went back, but at least something happened. Today, it's the very opposite. Today, um, you know, we say there is repentance, yet we we mixed up everything into a political movement repentance, music, singing, dancing, a little bit of everything. And instead of realizing that our time has come, we have we have uh, become confused. We have become, uh, I think what you, the, the word you use, we've doubled down, right? Yes. And, and, and what hit me as we were reading today in Exodus 32, brother, is that this was a collective thing that affected the family the nucleus of the family from the sons, the, the, the fathers, the mothers, you know, the sons and so forth. And, you know, exactly 
just exactly as the prophet Malachi prophesied about it, right? That there would be yes. a separation. So shall be the condition of the church. How do how do we know that the condition of the church is bad? Look at the families. Look, that is one of the greatest signs that we have. The separation, the division between the sons, the fathers, fathers and the sons. Wow. That's a really excellent point, Brother Jeremy, that you pointed out as well about September 11th. It made me think, like we talked about before, uh, and here we are on December 7th, right, the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, where America slept then and had no clue uh, and uh, that they were about to be attacked. They had never, They had never been violated like that. You know, as a nation, we hadn't been violated like that up until that point, at least. And and then September 11th comes, and our defenses, like you said, they were removed. And something happened, something broke in the spirit. And 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 from that point, like you said, there was a minimal amount of repentance. But in the ensuing 18, 19 years, we've grown worse than we were then. And now we stand on the brink of absolute destruction from the nation that we've all known since we were little. And really since the days of the founding fathers and the constitution of the United States, we have reached that point. I'm not blaming the people. I'm blaming the leadership in the church over the last 20, 30, and 40 years that has brought us to this point. And, and, and we have, we no longer have a nine 11 situation. We have woken up and realized that every single <laughs> institution from the from the White House to the city council uh, and, and everything in between, the judiciary, the, the, the universities, the, the high schools, the, the, even the elementary schools, and now they want to even go as far as, as corrupting the tiniest of our children, our, our, our legislative making branches, the state houses, the city councils, the Congress, the Senate, all of it is corrupt. The media houses, all of them bowing down to an enemy that has crept in unaware while the church slept and played with their calves of gold. That's what you're saying. That's what's happened. What did God say to Moses in verse 31, Brother Jeremy? And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. What have you been hearing all year in the United States? The economy, the economy was so great, you know, the economy this, the economy that. That is what drives the church now. The prosperity messages, the false prophets, it's all about money. You know why they want to open their, their, their church houses, most of all? Because they're suffering. Their budgets are suffering. And I know men of God around the world who are testifying to the fact that they aren't suffering at all. And you know why they're not suffering? Because they preach the word of Almighty God. They're not the compromised ministries. They haven't built their ministries by an ego-driven, uh, fleshly, calf-making uh, prosperity gospel and, and pseudo hyper spirituality that in our time of crisis and need uh, has proven to be absolutely nothing, weighed in the balance and found wanting. But the true servants of God, they are not without lack, uh, without need, uh, so to speak. They do not lack or need anything, really. They're being supernaturally provided for by God. 
in this hour. I know several, and and they, that's their testimony. That's what they say. They thought, wow, you know, this is bad. You know, when this whole COVID thing hit and they shut the churches, this is bad. He said, but their testify. I heard one this morning testifying to the fact. He said, you know what? But but our our giving is actually up, and we haven't had one public service anywhere. It's an amazing thing that God is doing. But listen, he said they made gods of gold. But Jeremy, could you read? Verse 33 to 35, because remember what Moses had them do. He had them drink that idolatry. He ground it to power and made powder and made them drink. And something happened. And, we'll, and, the, and the parallels are frightening to me. Verse 33 through 35, could you read that? And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore, now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, my angels shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron, which Aaron made. Incredible. He's using Book of Revelation phraseology here, right? The blotting out of the Lamb's Book of Life. This is hearkening to the end of time. This is this is the parallel that we're seeing here. And he said, now these people are going to be led to the place I spoke to you of. He's referencing the promised land. We're coming to that point. We're headed to that place, that ultimate destiny where we're going to meet the Lord. But what he says is that I'm going to visit them for their sin. And when I do, it's going to take the form of what? In verse 35. Read that again, Brother Jeremy. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. The idolatry produced a plague. Do you understand what I'm saying? A plague came. <laughs> Judgment came upon the nation because of the sins of the golden calf, just as America in 2020 experienced what we call the coronavirus. Whatever thing you want to talk about as far as that virus goes, all we know is it's been phrased in the terminology of biblical judgment. A plague came upon the nation. It came upon the nation. And what Moses did was he made that nation drink their idolatry. And, and it caused a plague to come upon the nation. That is, in essence, what has happened in our time. They fully drank it in. And when it reached its apex, when he visited it, he said, it took the form of a plague. That is what we saw in 2020 at the beginning. Now, that brings us to chapter 33. Because the same thing has happened after the plague. Did you read verse 7 to us, Brother Jeremy? Of chapter 33. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. So notice what we see in the parallel here. The plague comes because of the idolatry. A, a priesthood and a separation and a church is being separated from a church within a church. 
the word of God is becoming predominant and it's beginning to deal with the false uh, brethren and the false neighbors and the false companions, however you want to say it. Uh, and then what ends up happening is this plague comes. And then after the plague, Moses does something. He removes the tabernacle from the center of the congregation and, and removes it outside the camp. A redefinition of how God was going to be sought took place. Moses removes public access to the tabernacle from the midst of the camp. That's exactly what's happened now. Read to us verse 8, 9, and 10, Brother Jeremy, would you? And look at, look at, don't tell me this doesn't sound similar. Read verse 8, 9, and 10. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand of the stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. Wow. They were required now to worship in their own tent. Hmm. That's what's happened right now. Every man now is in his own tent door. And 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 they're 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 witnessing a re expression of how God is being sought now. Just as in their day, Moses removed the tabernacle, and those who wanted to worship had to leave that old way. And what's interesting is 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 we're not told that very many of them did, right? I mean, we got these people standing in their tent door looking and that is what we have taking place right now across this country most people's churches are shut mm -hmm. and they're required from their tent door to look afar off and reflect upon the presence of god see god has redefined everything precisely because america has done what it has done and here we are and we are seeing these patterns replay themselves in our time and 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 they 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 alert us to the fact that something's coming. See, the next thing that's coming soon after we get into this week, we're going to see an amazing patterns take place all throughout the Word as we close out 2020. And we're going to, by the Spirit of God, be able to discuss what we see going forward. We're already talking about it. God is opening up His Word. He's showing us what's been happening. I mean, everything from the rising up to to, to to want other gods because Jesus hasn't come yet, um, you know, to, to a corrupt national ministry that leads the church in a way of, of absolute idolatry, that the sound that, that begins to emerge from a compromised camp of the people of God becomes primarily driven by a false worship and a loud singing, a sitting down to eat and drink and, and to play. Uh, the 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 the, <laughs> uh, the the plague that comes upon them as a result, the separation of the congregation within the congregation, represented by the Levites, putting their sword at their side and and, and slaying the false doctrine, no matter where it comes from, at the entering in of the gates of the of the cities, of the camp, 
and then ultimately giving way to a removal of God's presence from the general congregation off to the side, which produces all of them having to stay in their tent door and merely look at what once was. What, what, what once was in their very midst has now been removed from them, and they don't go out to it. They can't go out to it, really. They're afraid to, actually. But it's a new expression. It's a new, and all they can do is see it from afar. That's what's happened to so many people. They don't know how to see God right. because of the compromise. They're reduced to standing in their tent door. Right. They've been required <laughs> to worship at at home. The church house has been closed to them. It's no longer in their midst. And if you want to seek God, you're going to have to come out from among her, my people, and seek him. Yeah, Go ahead. Brother Marty, it's incredible because um, as, as we see in the days of Moses, right, the tabernacle was taken out of the camp. And now yeah. God was moving in, in a different way. But just like today, the plague has caused the churches to be closed, yet most of min, most of the ministers, pastors, and people insist in going back to the tab, going back to the churches instead of seeking God in their own tents in their homes, which is what is being required in this hour. We are we are doubling down and we we're fighting the state. We're going to sue the state. You know, churches and ministers, right? We're yeah. going to double down. We're going to open the church no matter what. We have missed, just like in the times of Moses, you know, uh, what, what God is saying here. You know, yeah. so uh, incredible. Praise God. Now let's close with this. Uh, let's go back to Isaiah 27 as we as we close out Isaiah today. That is what he meant. Everything we just discussed is what he meant by the calf would feed there. It is the full uh, expression of their rebellion and their idolatry. It drew, like Brother Fernando said so well, the power and the presence of, 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 of satanic darkness upon the nation. It began to consume the branches. Remember we read in Isaiah 27.10, the calf itself, what we just described to you over the last 20 minutes or so, that calf is idolatry. That is that initial idol. It's the greatest of all idols. It represents the, 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 the satanic principle itself and the corruption of the house of God by its idolatry. And, and it says that it would come. They drew it to themselves, this calf in verse 10. There shall the calf feed. Where? Where the habitation of God used to be. There he's going to feed. He's going to lie down. And what, what semblance of life was left is going to be consumed Isaiah 27.10, the calf will feed there. It's the idolatry that has consumed the life out of the heart of the nation. That's what he's saying. All you had to do was turn from your sin. That's what he said in verse 9. I'm not even going to make it complicated. Just go destroy the stinking idol. Get rid of it all. And I'll take care of you. Yet, he says, the defensed city... It's going to be isolated and without security because it refused to do even the simplest of things. This is serious, what we're talking about. I'm talking to those of you who, who, who this resonates with your heart. It is because you are of the Levites. You are the ones who have come to, 
to the voice of the Lord. You have the sword by your side. And this is no longer a time because that's what God goes on in verse 11 to say, I can't have mercy on them anymore. I'm the one who formed them, but I can't show them favor anymore because they refuse to do the simplest of things. Number one, to acknowledge their sin. You go throughout the land and, and all those false prophets that we saw at the beginning of the years, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, on, on Christian media, which which drives the, the philosophy of the world from America, these false prophets, these false ministries, they haven't changed one iota. They've actually gotten worse. And they're making excuses for their false prophecies. And the people love to have it so. The simplest thing that we could do, the simplest, the most basic thing we could do, and start with me, Lord, right? Is say, God, like Daniel did, make our confession before him. Start there. And say, yeah, man, I, I did this, I did that. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I see it. And we are in desperate straits. Help us, Lord. Help us, all of us. We're all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the kind of heart we need right now. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, and I don't, I am not backing up anymore from saying it. You know, most of the time I try to like hedge what I'm saying because really what I sense in my heart is so hard and so pointed as to absolutely frighten everybody that would be in my presence <laughs> by what I see. So I try to like give it to you, you know, in the nicest, most compassionate way I can. But the truth of the matter is, is we are at the point of critical mass. I use that statement again. We have reached the crossroads. And, and this isn't going to get any better. We began telling you that back in March. This, this thing ain't going, it ain't going to go away. Like we've said before, you don't load a gun and guess, unless you're going to shoot shoot it. These global elite satanic cabals, as they like to call them nowadays, they've shown us what they intend to do. They've never shown us at this level. And they're not going to... They're, 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 <laughs> they didn't reveal all this just to pull it back and put it back in the vault. They're taking their shot right now. And only God, trust me, only God is going to prevent it from happening at this point. But only, and I'm talking about America's church now. I'm not laying a guilt trip on anybody. Let the chips fall where they may and start with me, Lord. All of us, all of us need to reflect. He said, all you have to do is this. That ain't very hard, is it? Well, it is. If you've come to that point that God had Moses do, which is, you know what, you want you want this? I'm going to make you drink it. And that's what America did. I'm not a rookie. I've been around. My family's been around. We've been all up in the hierarchy of some pretty powerful ministries that shook the world. Let me tell you something. All of it is corrupt. The whole system is corrupt. There is no plain, simple Jesus. Who has bewitched you, Paul said, that you should be removed from the simplicity that's in Christ? Where is the Lord Jesus that I fell in love with as a child, that I heard his voice when I was five? At 14, I read and was awestruck by his prophetic scriptures. At 16, walking down an aisle, uh, just because the preacher, you know how they do, right? You know, if you're going to stand up for Jesus, man, I answered every altar call. Because, like, who wouldn't stand up for Jesus? Where's the prophets that called us 
that encouraged us to live right. To, to you know, yeah, we weren't perfect, and yeah, we had a lot of hangups, and yeah, we got a lot of things that we got to deal with. But where are the voices encouraging us to break through? And the fellowship that 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 we're able to hook into and draw strength from brother to brother, sister to sister, church to church, pastor to pastor. Instead, we said, as for this Jesus, we don't know what's come of him. And we asked for a different God. Oh, we didn't say it with our voice, but we said it with our lifestyles. And over time, it began to chip away at the nation. The calf came to feed on the branches and ultimately sucked all the life out of it so that all that was left were branches that had withered and had been cut off from the source of life. And yet the false churches continued to persist to try and draw from those withered branches, false doctrines. And they lit them on fire and created a false light. And God said to us, enough is enough. This is a people that has no understanding. They will not turn. And like in Moses' day, he separated. That's what's happening right now. God help all of us and start with me, Lord. He's separating all of us, the real from the false, the true from the false, the light from the dark. It's going to get worse. But for God's children, something marvelous is coming. Read that to us, Brother Jeremy, would you? Verse 13. Isaiah 27, 13. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. You see, he's referencing the second coming of the Lord there. And those that were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, we ain't got time to get into all that, but it's reflective of the Antichrist system. And Egypt is representative of that false religious system. The two will combine in, the, in our time right now and, 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 and move against the true and the holy people of God. But there's a trumpet coming. Hallelujah. And you see, the whole thing is all about verse 1. Read verse 1 to us, Brother Jeremy. Woe is that uh, the chapter 28. Chapter 27, verse 1. 27. In that day the Lord, with his sore and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, the crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. That's what this is all about. That is what we're, where we're headed. He, again, he calls it that day. It's our time. It's our day. Like Moses so many years ago cried out and said, who's on the side of the Lord? Come unto me. So the Holy Spirit is crying to the church right now. Who is on the Lord's side? That question, that clarion call, as they say, is being made by the Spirit to the churches right now. A defining moment has come to pass in our time. Light and darkness has never been so apparently in a struggle as I see it right now, and we see it. The very fate of the world, and I'm not being overdramatic, 
if you don't understand what I'm saying, it's simply because you're uninformed and choose to be ignorant. The Spirit is laying out a call. God help us to answer that call. Who is on the Lord's side? Because that question, my brothers and sisters, in the ensuing days is going to come to rest right on your doorstep. And we better figure out who it is that we serve. Because that is what is being revealed to us by the word. I know I'm scaring people, man. It scares me. I'm telling you, it scares me to death. But we need to settle it in our heart. I got a lot of things I need God to take out of me. I don't know about you. I'm not a holy man of God, you know. I'm not this, you know, esoteric being that just floats without ever having to put a foot on the earth. I'm a human being. And God is always working on me. And I'm not pretending to put myself out there as some paragon of virtue. But what I am telling you is I am sensing the Holy Spirit calling to all of us and says, get ready, church. Fasten your seatbelts. Do what you got to do. Because the king is coming. And the great trumpet is about to be sounded. It's about to blow. And the true church, both Jew and Gentile, is being assembled right now. And soon we will return to our our Jerusalem. (laughs) You know, the days ahead for this nation and the world, they are dire. I'd be lying to you. We'd be lying to you if we told you something else. Like Brother Fernando shared so beautifully earlier, there's a church that all they want to hear is, is, is smooth things, light things. Take away from us the Holy One of Israel. We don't want this intense word. Well, brother, that's the Bible. An invitation has been extended to anyone. Jesus said, if any man thirst, anyone, not just Baptists or Presbyterians or Pentecostals or Catholics. No, no. He said, anybody, if anybody thirsts, let him come unto me and I will give him living water. What he has prepared, that's what Paul said. Remember what he said? He said, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And then he goes on to say, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. There is a call that is reaching into the what David called the hidden part, man, that, that most interior part of our being. It is that eternal call. It's where the fingerprint of God has been stamped on every conscious, sentient being created in the image of Almighty God that is destined to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. He's calling us to the most magnificent, most extraordinary most wonderful, uh, ad infinitum as it pertains to the adjectives, you know, a billion dictionaries couldn't do it justice. And he's not about to hand that over to a bunch of people who could care less, whose eyes are upon this world, who haven't allowed the Spirit of God to elevate them and transcend them out of their everyday, self-driven, egocentric lifestyles. And cause them to allow him to elevate their sights higher to that which the scriptures has always proclaimed, but has been so grossly watered down over a century to where we are now. On the brink as a nation, without bringing forth fruits of repentance, where everything is going to leave us isolated and without security. Choice is ours, right? 
The days ahead are indeed dire, and the shadows are growing long over this planet. The apostasy, the falling away, it has occurred and will increase. But the Lord is revealing to his church. The time is at hand. But let us prepare and let us seek his strength. Let us leave the camp and go out to meet the Lord. For he's coming soon and his great trumpet is about to sound. I hope you still love us. I hope you still love me. Because <laughs> I love you and we love you. We're going to have to give an account to God for what we told you. We pray that on that day you'll say, they told us the truth. We're praying for you. We're praying for your families. We're praying for your loved ones. Pray for us. It's just like you. We need it too. God bless you, and we hope you join us the rest of this week as we dig deeper into the Word of God. And we see some amazing things, which will keep us secure in these times. Because as Daniel was told by the angel, none of the wicked are going to understand. But the wise will understand. Brother Jeremy? What a way to begin our week this week uh, with this incredible parallel, this incredible, uh, uh, what we just studied today in Isaiah chapter 27. So we pray that you've been blessed today. We pray that God has spoken as he's spoken to our hearts today. And um, may God bless you. May God keep you. We pray you join us tomorrow as we continue to study the word of God. But as always, keep looking up.